Thank you for being here today. We are finishing the book of James for the second week in a row, but this week I think we're a little closer. And uh, the issue of, or the story of Elijah is going to come up. And I just re- review this very quickly. Uh, in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, this is where uh, Elijah, the nation of Israel to the north, has gone into rebellion. They're under the leadership of King Ahab and Jezebel. And it stopped raining. We find out in this chapter that Elijah had prayed that it not rain. It doesn't say that in the text in the Old Testament. Um, he is definitely going to pray for it to start raining. But there's a famine. Just to, as it says in the law of Moses, if you turn away from the Lord, there will be consequences. And in our book of James here, what we've seen uh, is these people of, of James, there, there's two things going on. They are suffering, we can say oppressed, uh, and they are, we'll just write, sinning. Uh, and, and that can be in a very general sense. They're double-minded. I've got a list of things written on here. They're double-minded. They're talking evil about each other. They're judging each other. They're trying to manipulate and trying to cont- operate in the way the world does. The oppression is normal. That comes from uh, the world. They're also being persecuted. The sinning is what they're being confronted with, that they're sinning, and because of their sinning, they're probably, because they're living in darkness, uh, they're doing things that are, are wrong and rebelling towards God, they're facing the consequences. And that may set up these verses here while they're talking, about, while James is talking about healing and being healed. They are probably suffering, not just because they're being oppressed by the world, which is normal, and that's where it says rejoice, you know, face trials, it's, it's making you stronger, it's testing your faith. This oppression is nothing to be afraid of. It's nothing God's not going to deliver you for. God, nothing God needs to deliver you from. He's going to use it to strengthen you. This right here, the sinning, is also going to cause problems in their life. This they can be delivered from, but they're first going to have to stop sinning to be delivered from the darkness and the, and the struggles that those sins have created. So in a sense, we've got two, two things James is addressing. The oppression, that, that's fine. It'll strengthen you. This sinning, uh, because you're oppressed, you're, you're turning to the ways of the world, and you're not really enduring the oppression. You're trying to overcome it by compromising or being double-minded. You're, you're sinning. Uh, anyway, the sin that the people, the readers of James, are, are the sin that they've been living in has probably left a mark, if it be in their attitudes, if it be in their lifestyle, if it be in their relationships, if it be in their physical bodies. You live in darkness, you reap the harvest. We can see that in examples. We'll we'll pull some out of the Bible. So James now is telling them basically to repent, and if you repent, you'll reverse this process, and you'll be restored. Now, he pulls uh, Elijah up here in these verses as an example of prayer, and we mentioned it briefly last week. There's probably better examples of prayer in the Bible than Elijah. I mean, it's a good example, praying, you know, fire coming out of heaven. But you've got Daniel praying. You've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You've got uh, prophets praying. Uh, You could find examples of uh, Abraham praying. But Elijah is pertinent to the story because he's talking to Israel, northern Israel, who is in rebellion towards God. Uh, We could put Ahab down here. He confronts Ahab and others, and he's confronting them because of their sin. And they are suffering. They are having, they're in the middle of a, a three-year famine. And that famine is because of their sin. It is not because of oppression. It's not because of global warming. It's because of their sin. And they're going to need to uh, repent. They're going to have to confess their sins. And when they repent and confess their sins on Mount Carmel, when Elijah calls fire out of heaven, there is instant and I'll say instant, and that doesn't, that's not necessarily a promise, but uh, there is rain, there is restoration. And so the whole idea here is Elijah uh, confronted the people, and then at the end, he brought revival or repentance. James, here in this book, he has, this whole book has been confrontation. He has been accusing the people he's been pointing out their weaknesses their sin he's been t- calling them double-minded he's called them sinners he said they're you're judging each other you're going after the ways of the world and he's confronted them and if this is true and we we assume it is uh their sin 
has probably led to, uh, we'll just say, sickness. Uh, and that sickness, it seems like in the text, is talking specifically about their bodies are ailing. But this sin, uh, which leads them into darkness, it's, it's going to affect their, their emotions, their relationships, their bodies, their businesses, their finances, everything. When you go into darkness, when you go into rebellion, you unravel everything in your life. Well, now that he's confronted them, he's now telling them, now, confess your sin, and if you'll confess your sin, you can be restored. You can be, re- now notice he never tells them, confess your sins, or if you live right, you won't be oppressed, you won't be persecuted. That, he's telling that's life. You, you need to toughen up, endure that, rejoice. It's making you stronger. It's testing your faith. It, it, the genuineness of your faith, like Peter says, will be proven. Now, concerning the results of your sin, the sickness and the destruction you see in your life, if you will confess your sins, God will restore you. And so he, it's at, that's why we're at the end of the letter, what's taking place right here. This whole letter has been a confrontation. I mean, we got basically five chapters of the, the readers being confronted. And now these final verses, it's, like, it, it's almost like a strange, all of a sudden he switches subjects. He's not really s- switching subjects. It's like, okay, this is what you need to do. Now, if you will confess your sin, we can get this thing back on track. Give me an example of someone who was in great sin they were confronted by someone. They repented and things were restored. Elijah. He confronted an entire nation. They repented and they are restored. And now we come to the example of now, if there's any of you in here that is like an Elijah or you have, in a sense, repented, you've come back in, you would be considered righteous. And his, the point is going to be, now understand, the righteous person is going to be able to do what James has done or do what Elijah has done, and that is, you know, I, again, I don't want to say point out sin because that sounds very, you know, judgmental, but you're going to be able to assist and help someone confess their sins, pray for them, and the prayer of the righteous man is powerful and effective, and you will be restored. Just like Elijah restored rain to Israel, James's letter and the people that respond to it you, you've got a great job ahead of you. And so the idea would be for us is we need to examine our lives, confess our sins, you know, receive you know, uh, forgiveness, get back in fellowship with God, and then take up the armor of armor, the mantle of, of Elijah or James or the, the elders that James is referring to here and begin to not confront people in a sense of running around being judgmental, but lead them back to the Lord help them confess their sins, pray for them, and that's how the book ends. In fact, if you look, the very last verse, I can read it right now, and it will make sense, maybe, is this right here, the very last verse. Uh, verse, well, yeah, verse, I'll read verse 19. Brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and again, that's obvious, many of them have, that's whole books about that, and someone should bring him back, if someone has wandered from the truth, and one of you is going to be an Elijah in their life, uh, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the air of his ways will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So if you'll be like Elijah, if you will go off and find someone that's wandering, is there someone in your congregation, in your family, in your circle of Christian friends, that we're talking 45 AD, we make application for ourselves, if you can find them and lead them back to the truth, pray for them, you'll, you'll, they'll recover, and uh, you'll cover over a multitude of sins. You'll save them from death. You'll get this, this restoration. They'll be restored instead of staying in darkness. And all these sins that they've committed, they're going to be covered over. I mean, it's, they, don't, they don't have to do repentance. They don't, ha- I, 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 repent. they don't have to do penance. They don't have to pay for them. We know they've already been paid for, just like First John 1, 9. They need to confess their sins, come back into fellowship, walk in the light as he is in the light. Because, I mean, once you've committed the sins, I mean, what are you going to do? Go back and undo it? it? It's done. You've got to confess it, be forgiven, get in fellowship, and you will be restored. Uh, and that is how this book is ending right here. Uh, so... With that being said, let's go to 1 Kings very quickly. Just read a little bit of uh, this account of Elijah 
Again, he's in the in the midst of uh, in chapter seventeen. This is where Elijah. This would be like, in a sense, James' letter to the readers, the, the Jewish readers in Syria in forty-five A.D. Um, chapter seventeen. And if you want to say this could be now in Jewish literature, it. It, it 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 talks about Elijah praying that it not rain, as if Elijah went off and prayed the prayer and it it's not going to rain. That's not explicit in these verses. James picks it up, uh, but chapter uh, seventeen, verse one. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead, that's on the the west side of Gal, excuse me, the east side of Galilee, said to Ahab, that's the king of Israel, who's ruling on the the west side. He says, as, as, the Lord, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here and turn eastward and hide in the Kirith Ravine. And there he's going to hide. God is going to provide water in the brook. This bird's going to bring him food. Runs out. The brook dries up. He's going to have to go up to Phoenicia. Stays with a widow there. You can read that next account there. And God provides for him and the widow while he's staying there. And then chapter 18, after a long time in the third year, so he's been up there in Phoenicia for you know several months, maybe two, two and a half years, depends on how long he stayed by the brook in, 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 down in Judah. In the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of the, his palace. And Obadiah was a believer, talks about him here. And uh, Elijah goes off and, and appears to Obadiah and says, you know, go get Ahab, I want to talk to him. And of course, Obadiah is terrified because he thinks if, if Elijah escapes, he's going to be killed. But Elijah now is going to confront Ahab. And then in chapter uh, 17 verse uh, 18 verse 16 uh, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him and Ahab went to meet Elijah when he, he saw Elijah he said to him is that you you troubler of Israel you know it'd be like James the troubler of the Syrians he's writing these nasty letters and then Elijah says I have not made trouble for Israel but you and your father's family have you have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals that would be the world system. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. Bring 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah and, uh, who eat at Jezebel's table. And then you know the, the events there on Mount Carmel. And Elijah's going to then you know, call fire out of heaven. And the whole nation's going to repent. And uh, he's got national revival. Well, Jezebel's upset. She doesn't repent. She's going to cut his head off. Then he runs. That's another whole part of the story. Then he runs and hides, apparently runs to Mount Sinai, uh, where uh, God had spoken to Moses and, and wants an interaction with God. And that's, that's another fun story. But Elijah, again, I, I don't want to go down that road because some really strange things take place. But basically, Elijah is uh, not going to finish his ministry. He's going to have to hand his ministry off to Elisha, because he is so, uh, in a sense, confused and, and disappointed in, which is, again, uh, a man of, you know, uh, uh, you know, talk about a man of like passions. Uh, you know, he's a normal man. Uh, but nonetheless, that's, that's a story, and that's what's going to be coming up here in the book of James. Now, on your notes, we've got the same notes I've added to them from last week. Um, and I did make a correction there on, on the top, point three. The word prayer is used... Uh, eight times in these five verses, and uh, one there's there's three different words that are used. The first word there's a verb form and a noun form. The second word a verb and a noun form, and then the third word, desis, which is going to be used in some the the verses we're talking about. Uh, you know, it can mean the other words can mean to pray or a prayer, uh, to pray or I wish, uh, you know, make a vow. The word that's going to come up today is it, it means a need, uh, and it's translated supplication. It's a, it's a plea, it's a plead, uh, and it's going to be when you're pleading, if you're pleading with God, making a supplication, that's what's going to be used uh, today. Okay, so chapter. we'll just read through these, these, these verses in the English Standard Version on the notes. 
Chapter 5, verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs of praise. Now, this begins right after uh, those three sections where James has addressed the merchant and and condemned the traveling merchant. He then condemns the oppressive landowners. And then he talks to the Christians and says, this is how you should live and how you should do it. Now, this is the correction. Now, coming back to your situation, if you are happy, uh, that's good. And again, that word cheerful is not happy. It means, and you can see down there, point two, it's, it's an important word. It's euthomio. Youth, it describes the state of emotions instead of the circumstances. It's, it's what's going on inside of your head, your emotions, your soul, and not the circumstances. So independent of the circumstances, they, they may be good or they may be bad, but your soul is cheerful. It doesn't mean, oh, your situation's good, so you're in a good mood. It, it's, it's not like everything's going good. It, it, it's independent. Everything may be good, but the idea is your soul is good. Everything may be ba- bad, but your soul is still good. You're still in a state of mind. So, if any one of you is cheerful, you are in a good place, meaning you're, you're in tune with God, you, you should sing praises. If you're suffering hardships, if you've been distracted by the world around you and you've lost that place, you should pray and restore yourself back to that place of staying focused with God because you're going to have to face persecution. Uh, so that would be if you're in the world facing persecution and you're troubled, you need to pray and get to that place where your emotions are stabilized on the Word of God. If you are there, and independent of your circumstances, you are stabilized on the rock of Jesus Christ, you know, seeing the life with the divine viewpoint, then you should sing songs of praise. Now, that's the world. Now, if you are suffering, now that's verse 5, 14, if any one of you is sick, now I'm going to write here, uh, because of this letter, this is not, again, you need to judge me as I'm teaching this, this is not just a, a random verse used just like, oh, here's a verse about sickness, and you flip back to this verse and read this verse. You can do that. I've done that. But this verse comes after five and a half chapters of him telling the people, uh, you're sinful, you're double-minded, you're judging each other, you're going the way of the world. You know, you're, you're double-minded, and you're looking in the mirror, and you, you, you see what you look like, but you walk away, and you act completely different. Uh, of course you've got trouble. Of course you're sick. Everything in your life, you're, you're probably financially out of control. You're probably emotionally out of control. You're probably, your bodies are probably breaking down. Why? Because you're living in sin. That's the topic here, if that makes sense. Uh, so be careful with this. Now again, you can, and just make this a cover-all verse, but in the context, he's just got done chewing the people out, similar to Elijah, and is calling them back. And if you find yourself having lived in darkness, uh, rebelled against the word of God, and now you find yourself sick, well, you need some help. And if you are sick, let him call the elders of the church. Now, again, keep in mind, if you are sick, you should pray. I mean, wherever you're at, you you can pray yourself. Uh, You can pray for each other. This would appear to be a person who is, has gone down the road into sin. They, they've gone the way of the world. They're double-minded. They're, they're confused. Well, what you need to do is call an elder, someone that is in the faith. Again, this doesn't necessarily mean every time you're sick, call an elder from the church. But you need to stabilize. Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So the elder, and this elder would be one of the leaders of the church, and we mentioned last week, uh, there's no verses where it says pastors and elders together. It would have seen there's, there's evangelists, pastors, uh, prophets, teachers, uh, but you don't see a verse that says pastors and elders. If, if you are, the, the pastor would be one of the elders, or you may be an, a, a leader in the church and not have the role of the pastor. And then, of course, there's different things that pastors would do. These would be leaders in the church. Um, let him call the elders of the church and let them pray with him, anointing with oil. We went through a whole list last week about the oil. Was it for, for uh, medication purposes? Was it for some kind of a, a ritual? 
uh, or was it simply symbolic? And we, I ended up pointing out that this is just drawing their attention to the fact that God is here. God is present. You're, you're, the Spirit of God is in you. You are a child of God. And that anointing, it wasn't a, a ritual like a, uh, uh, like, uh, uh, a, a sacrament like in the Catholic Church. Or we could even say baptism or communion may be a sacrament. It's not necessarily a sacrament. You can, you can go that way. You can even talk about it being a medical purpose. But it doesn't appear to be that way, and we described it last week. This is putting oil on someone so that now this person that's lost focus on God, you've called for restoration, someone that is in tune with God, walking in fellowship, they're going to anoint you oil. There'll probably be some instruction that comes along with it that the God has anointed you. You are God's child. <coughs> and prayer of them. And... Uh, in the name of the Lord, and then the next verse it says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. So this person's called for help. The elders come. They put oil, referencing the presence of the Lord. You're his child. They've prayed over him. And the prayer offered in faith uh, will save the one who is sick. And that save doesn't mean save spiritually. We're assuming they're already saved spiritually. Will deliver them from the sickness and the Lord will raise him up, and here's the kicker right here, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. The very fact that he's called for restoration, called the elders, I've got problems. The elders going to pray, they'll probably be, you know, assume there's be a discussion, but they understand the prayer, the, 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 the weight of the prayer is on the elder who's praying. The person's calling for the elder because I'm in no condition to pray for myself. I, I, we would understand that you can all pray for yourself at any time. But if you're spinning from the world, you're lost in darkness and chaos, it's like, I need help. Bring someone stable in. They can counsel you. They can anoint you with oil. The Lord is with you. Pray for you. And now, this person, they're coming back. They're, okay, your sins are forgiven. It's like, yeah, but I did so many things. Right, but you've come back. That's the past. Now we're starting over. And you, we could go to 1 John and read chapter 1. Again, I, I'm explaining what's taking place here. And this, again, is in the context, as we're ending the book of James, we've got an entire congregation, an entire Christian community that has, because of the oppression, because of the persecution, they're scrambling, they're scared, they're making all kinds of bad decisions, they're double-minded, they're, they're actually called sinners. And now James is chewing them out, like Elijah, in a sense, chewed out Israel, and they're now coming back. And how do we come back? Well, let's get some people and start bringing individuals one at a time back into fellowship with God, getting them restored. And now the idea is going to be, once you're stabilized, go back and get someone else and start bringing these people back in. Now, again, this is not a book about evangelism. This is a book about a church, a congregation of people that has gone off track because of persecution. And James is trying to find some leaders that will then help stabilize and start bringing these people back in, not evangelizing them, but bringing them back into Christian fellowship with the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, this is kind of where we left off last week. This is now the idea, is prayer. You're going to pray. You're going to confess sin. And then the result is restoration. That, that is, that's, therefore, there's been a prayer. There's been confession of sin and forgiveness of sin. And now you've been restored. This is the doctrine. This is the, this is, these are the steps. And so that leads us to verse 16. Therefore, if this works, therefore... Confess your sins to one another. Now, you see that phrase, to one another. Let that sit for just a moment. And therefore, since this works, confess your sins. 1 John 1, 9. He's faithful and just. Confess your sins. And pray for one another. And pray. And again, because we're talking about restoring this community, it's got the to one another, pray for one another. It can be on an individual basis. Confess your sins and pray. This is it. This is the road to recovery. Confess your sins, pray, and you're going to be restored to light. Walking in the light as he is in light. Now, because this is a community effort and people are struggling and fall, you know, the whole group is, confess your sins, 
one to another, meaning, you know, just like, okay, I'm here, you know, it's like we're, we're trying to recover, and then pray for each other. So in other words, here comes an elder, and this elder now could be, in a few moments, this elder is going to be a righteous man. And a righteous man is anyone who is what? You know, got enough, you know, merit badges. A righteous man is anyone who is in fellowship with God. So here we start off with the elder. Eventually, the prayer of a righteous man, someone in fellowship with God, is powerful and effective. So the ideal is you're, you're confessing your sin, saying, I, I've been wrong. I read James' letter. Again, the, 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 the place we're at. I read James' letter. I heard James' letter read in church. It's like, I'm that guy. I'm, I'm double-minded. I'm judging others. I'm setting myself above the law. I'm out in the world trying to make my way, trying to overcome this persecution and opposition or, uh, you know, by being worldly myself. Okay, I want to get back to God. Okay, confess your sins and then pray. And this is confess your sins to one another, the idea of, okay, we're all trying to come back and pray. Again, some, you could take that and build that up, confess your sins one to another as if, well, it's really not a confess sin until you've confessed it to somebody. Oh, you could run that down if you want to, uh, but it appears in First John you confess it to God. Uh, if you know, if you need to talk to somebody, there's definitely room for that. And again, keep this in the context of this book. Therefore, because this works, prayer confession leads to restoration. Therefore, what should you do? You should confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Or, and again, I think that in context we're talking about physical healing. But it would also be under that category of restored. Like the nation of Israel received rain after they repented. You'll be restored. And then here it says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So again, these are the, this is the, the doctrine. Confession of, confession of sin and prayer leads to restoration. Because that's true, what should we do? We should confess our sins you know, to one another. I, I'm, I've gone the way of the world. Okay, come with me. We're going to pray. Your sins are now covered, and now you're healed. In the context here, we're talking about physical healing, or you're being restored. And now we're going to talk about, here comes a little discussion about prayer. And why does prayer work, or why should we count on prayer? Because the the, the end of the verse right here, verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So we've got the word prayer. We've got righteous person in the English standard. If you look in the Greek, it's, it's, it's the masculine. It means righteous man, Again, does, which means person is a good translation. It doesn't mean men, women can't do this. It's not the point. It's just in the masculine, so that would be the correct translation. But as we take it into English, the righteous person is fine. And then you've got the prayer of a righteous person, uh, in there it says, uh, has great power as it is working. Uh, great power, and then as it is working. And that is all qualifiers, descriptors, or qualifiers for this prayer. So turn the page, and here's some notes on that. I've got it kind of in a box on the Greek on the top of page three in brackets. Uh, and point one, I've, I've said that. Point two, I've said that. Uh, point three, this is the road to recovery. This is the proper response of the Syrian readers of this letter in 45 AD. If they want to recover, they will need to confess their sins, restore fellowship with the Lord, and begin praying for others to do likewise. And again, you can see there's a lesson for us right there. You want, you want America you want the, the Western church for recovery? Well, you need to confess your sins. You need to get right with God, and then you need to begin to pray for others and help them do the same thing. Not in a judgmental way, but if, if they're dying in the famine, uh, they want to find out where's the food, where's the water, where's the light. It's over here, but we can't be over there in the darkness with them. We ourselves have to be in the light, living light, and then we can pray, and the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, and will have an impact um, in, in history. Now, here we go. Uh, point four, it may be assumed that due to the sinful rebellion towards the Lord, these people are suffering the consequences for their broken fellowship with the Lord, and we've said that several times already. Uh, there is persecution. God will strengthen for this. Point B, there's also chaos, sickness, and death when walking 
or living in darkness. This is the result of walking away from the truth, walking away from the light, walking away from life. God can restore you from this darkness. Now here's an example, 1 Corinthians 11, and I don't want to go spend you know, a bunch of time here. But this is talking about communion. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians around 57 uh, A.D., 55 A.D., Oh, it would be about 10 years after this book. If this book is 45 A.D., this is 10 years later in further to the west, in Corinth, well, all the way through Asia Minor, over into Greece. And they're having trouble with communion. They've reduced communion or the Lord's Supper to some kind of, there are all kinds of problems. They're, they're over-drinking and having all kinds of feasts. It's a big party uh, that, that's described in the First Corinthians. But when they come to the Lord's Supper, uh, they're, they're not doing it correctly. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, just a, a verse right out of there. Uh, chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, verse 28 through 30. Let a person examine himself. This is when they're drinking the cup, eating the bread. Let the person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. In other words, one of the, if you're going to make this a, a ritual, if you're going to make this a... Uh, uh, an activity, uh, uh, yeah, I'm thinking of the, the word uh, sacrament. sacrament in the church. Uh, th- it can't just be passing cups and bread around and just going through the motions because he says, let a person examine himself. What's that mean? You're looking right here. I had, don't have it written on here anymore, but you're going to confess your sins. And how, what sins are you confessing? Well, let me think about it. And you look back at the week, the day, you know, your life, and you confess those sins. You've got to examine yourself before you can confess your sins. Now, what do I need to do to get rid of my sins? Well, you're going to have to confess them. And you can't confess them until you examine yourself and go, ah. And, and when you're examining yourself, you've got to be comparing yourself to some standard. And that standard is the light. It's Jesus Christ. In, in my case, I'd say the Word of God. It's not like the world. Well, that's a pretty easy target. Well, look at the world. Well, at least I'm not killing anybody. Okay, I'm, I'm good to go. It's like, whoa, 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 let's look into the light. Move into the light as he is in the light. It's like, and the first John, or John talks about men did not like the light because it revealed their sin. It's like the closer you get to the light, the more it's like, we're not just talking about you're not killing anybody. Look what you thought. Look what your little, it's like, oh my gosh. And the closer, and you, you can read first John, you read the whole Bible. At the closer you get, the more is revealed. You're never going to get to the place where it's like, oh, I'm translucent in front of the Lord. Look, at, I, I've made it. It's like every time you get closer to the Lord, it's going to be like, oh, yeah. So your life is basically a life of examination, confession, repentance, restoration, examination, and you just keep getting closer to the Lord, if that, that's one way of looking at it. Nonetheless, 1 Corinthians, Paul, 10 years after this letter of James, writes the Corinthians, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is your, your doorway of examining yourself and confessing your sins and realizing my sins are going to be forgiven, not because I'm going to go do penance, but because Jesus came in a physical body. God became a man in a physical body, and he died. He poured out his blood. He suffered death to pay for my sins. So here is my sin. This is what has atoned and given me the right. I confess it. Jesus has paid for it. I'm in fellowship with God because I've got faith in Christ. I've confessed my sin. I'm drawing closer to God. But he says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. You've still got the sin. Oh, hey, give me the cracker and the juice. Uh, you just drank judgment on you. Did you examine yourself? No, I just, it's like I get, it's a free ride to heaven. It's not a free ride to heaven. You need to separate from sin. You can't live in the world, James, double-minded. I'm living like the world, but I'm also taking communion. It's like you, you, you look in a mirror, you forget what you look like. I mean, it's all James. That is why, now watch this. For anyone who eats and, this is Paul, 55 AD, 2 of the Corinthians. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And then he says flat out, that is why many of you are weak, and ill, and some have died. It's like because when well, you're coming to church, you're going through the motions, you're living in sin, you're having communion, and you're not even examining yourself. You're living in darkness, you're reaping the harvest of darkness, 
uh, you're sick, you're, you're ill. I mean, some of us got out of hand, some of us just flat out died. Now again, it doesn't say in James or here that every sickness is a result of sin. Because, well, okay, in the big picture, yes, because if Adam and Eve had not sinned in the garden, there would not be death. Okay, so yes, death and sin, sickness are related to uh, sin. But as far as your life, no matter how righteous you are, if you're Paul, if you're Peter, I mean, name somebody, uh, you're still going to grow old, you're still going to die. You're still going, there's still disease in the world. There's still, that's part of the fallen world. We're talking here about a specific situation in James, or Paul's telling him, he says, you know, one of your problems is, that is why, says, that is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Why? Because you're going through the church service, you're going through the communion, but you're not repenting of your sins. You're still living like the world. The world is going to kill you. Darkness is going to lead you into destruction. Okay, there's that. Verse 5. Uh, this verse that we're looking at right here, uh, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. This verse ends encouraging the man who has manifested fellowship with the Lord or who has returned to fellowship with the Lord. Uh, the prayer of a righteous man is effective. If you are, you've read James' letter, and maybe you've examined yourself, you've confessed your sins, you're, you're back with God, and now you can be the one that goes to pray for someone else or someone else is suffering or sick or they've read James' letter. You can be the one that goes and helps them, prays for them, helps restore them. But the ideal here is that this righteous man, it used to, a few verses ago, it was call the elders. Now you just need to find a righteous man, a man who is, is going to pray. Now this, this righteous man is going to compare to, a moment ago it was the elders. James is heading to the example of Elijah. And how powerful, how powerful is the prayer of a righteous man? In Elijah's case, an entire nation repented and came back to God. It wasn't just one person. He restored an entire nation in a moment because of his, his prayer. So the elders can do it. You could do it. Elijah is your example. Uh, um, uh, this verse ends, okay. Point six, much prevails the prayer of a righteous man being made effective. If you look up there, that's what I got in the brackets there in the Greek. It's just the word much. See the word polo or poloi, poloi, poli. Uh, and then the next word is ishgai, I can't pronounce it, it means prevails. Then there's your word for prayer, is desis, it's not one of the first two, it's the third word for prayer, it means a petition, uh, you're, you're uh, appealing, asking for something, and then of a righteous man, and that's in the masculine, that's why it says man there, and then being made effective, and notice the word, you can see energomenai, you see in the, the transliteration of the Greek words, energomenai. And that is, the, the word is energy. We get a word energy from it, uh, which means working or effective. And it's in, again, the present tense, being made effective. So the prayer is being made effective. In other words, it's you prayed, but it is still working. You say, you, yeah, I prayed in the past, amen, I'm done. But the prayer is here still being effective. I'm done praying. I'm, I'm golfing now. But the prayer you pray, I don't golf, but uh, I thought of that. Uh, the prayer is still being effective. It's not like, amen, well, now the prayer's done. Well, no, the prayer's been prayed. It is now a force, and it, it's described as, here's those words, point C at the bottom of the page. Three words are used to modify or qualify desis, word for prayer, which means request, petition or prayer and that's identified the line above first is the word poly which means much or many prevails is the word for strong or to have power so again that is there is much basically what you've got written on the board here much power in the working or the energy that that is working there's much power in a working prayer now, it doesn't mean while you're praying, I, I don't think. I mean, I, you've prayed, but that prayer is now working. And a, a righteous man prays. There's much power that is working in a righteous man's prayer. And our examples are elders, and we're going to Elijah. Meaning James, again, keep, the, keep your eye on this book of James. We're closing the book of James down. He's drugged them over the coals. He's had very few times in a sense where he's, 
been uh, complimentary other than calling them brothers, saying, okay, we're, we're, we're associated, we are both believers, but it's been re- time after time with them, you need to clean up your act, you need to get back on, on track, uh, you need to stop being double-minded, you've got to remember who you are, you've got to stop arguing with each other because you have wants and desires you don't get, so you kill and you covet, I mean, you guys are completely gone out of control, you need to get back on track, and now he's saying right here, you can, and if you do, the prayer of a righteous man who's in fellowship with God, your prayer has great power as it is working. And so we turn the page, and we go to uh, verses 17, 18, 19, and 20, our last four verses. Here we go. And hopefully this goes fairly fast. The example he ends with, again, again isn't it, uh, 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 if just uh, uh, as far as the background of the book, it would appear that he's writing to Jewish believers and I say in Syria around 45 AD, because the example he gives is Elijah. And again, you could do that with anybody, even if it was Gentiles, but it's going to have a lot more impact if you're writing to Jews, because this is one of their heroes of faith. So here we go. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. So there's nothing special about Elijah, (coughs) except that he was a righteous man who prayed. You can be a righteous man, and you can pray. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. So Elijah, <coughs> again, the idea here, <coughs> that you, the goal is like, you know what? Watch this. I can stop it from raining for the next three and a half years. That's how powerful a prayer. It's like, well, okay, that's not the point. It's like, I'm demonstrating my power. I'm going to make the, the sun go dark. You know, it's like, that's not the point of just demonstrating power. The idea was, there was rebellion. There was rebellion in the land against God, and the law of Moses said, if that takes place, I'm going to send a famine. I'm going to send a drought. So Elijah says, okay, we need to fix the rebellion. So Elijah, a righteous man, he prayed, and this rebellion was punished for three and a half years. There was no rain. And the goal was not just to punish the people, of course, if they don't repent, this is going to end up in their destruction. But he prayed with the goal of bringing the people to a restoration of having rain. This right here is James' book right here. James has just written this book right here. He, you're in rebellion, and he's not causing these things. He's just pointing out you're having all kinds of trouble in your life. In fact, he ends right here, these verses. Some of you are probably sick. Some of you probably are, you can't even get out of bed. Because of this rebellion. The reason you're in your condition doesn't mean every time someone's bedridden they're in rebellion. But James is saying some of you are bedridden because they can't get out of bed. They got to call the elders to their house. He says it's because of this rebellion, just like James. But the good news is that's where we're at. But Elijah also is going to pray for the restoration. And that's this next part right here. It did not rain for three and a half years. Turn the page, page 5, verse 18. Then. He prayed again. He prayed a second time. But this time his prayer was not a prayer of judgment. It was a prayer of restoration. And that's what I'm talking about now, James would be saying. I'm now talking about how do we change. I'll just put a plus sign right there. How do we turn this around? You turn it around by becoming righteous and start praying. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore fruit. Rain and fruit And what could be a better idea of what James is (coughs) trying to get from these people than them to have, instead of being double-minded, being, you know, sinners of biting each and devouring each other, (coughs) of killing and coveting, is he wants them to receive the rain, the spirit, get back in fellowship with God, start maturing, and start bearing fruit of righteousness in their lives. And that's what was going to take place. Uh, point one I write, like Elijah rebuked Ahab and northern Israel, James' letter has rebuked his readers. Point two, like Elijah's confrontation led to national repentance and obedience, James here in these verses assumes his letter will bring about repentance and obedience. He's not just writing a letter, chewing him out and says, you're all going to hell. He says, you're all living like you're going to hell, but listen, I'm assuming my letter is going to shake you to your boots, and here's how we're going to fix this. He's assuming there's going to be revival because of his letter and uh 
His letter will bring about repentance and obedience, confession, prayer, and restoration. And here it is, chapter 5, verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is a perfect landing for this letter. In other words, if, you, if you're like in James's circle, you've read this letter, okay, I'm a one of the righteous men, well then know this is your mission. Verse 19, my brothers, assuming now that you're all on the same page, James is, you're, you're in fellowship. If anyone among you, if someone here wanders, and that's the translation, I've got it, uh, yeah, might wander, it's planetha, and you can see point one, wanders or should stray, the English word for planet comes from this word. You can see the word planet in there. Uh, planet comes from this word because in the Greek word, uh, because planets in the sky do not appear uh, to follow a fixed pattern like the stars. They'd call them, they'd call them wandering stars. We're going to see that word in the book of Jude. We're heading there next. They're wandering stars. Now, what's a wandering star? Someone just got out of, got out of the solar system, got out of the routine? No, a, a wandering star was one of these. They were like, stars should always be moving together. But here comes this one going like the opposite direction. And it's like, and it's never that we're not going to see it again until, you know, three and a half months later, it comes back and up. It's like, what is that? Ah, it's a, that's a star that got, ah, it's broken. It's a wandering star. No, that's a planet. That's a planet that's not, it's, it's orbiting the sun like we're orbiting the sun. It's not one of the stars in the galaxies, however you want to explain that. So they appear to be on a different rotation they're called wandering stars. So that's where we get the word planet from that very word that means wandering. Uh, point B, here it is used in the passive. It is the ideal of being led astray. It's, it's not active. They haven't like gone off and done this. They, they're responsible for it, but they've been passively taken over here. They've been led astray. Uh, maybe because they you know, were... were listen to bad teaching maybe because they had uh they were trying to avoid persecution or opposition uh maybe because you know whatever they've 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 gone astray and it's passive the word can also mean to go astray on one's own accord it doesn't that's not saying there's that's the only way you can either do it yourself or you can do it passively in this case they've done it passively and also notice the if which is in the third class condition my brother's if, meaning we don't know if they have or if they, we're not saying everybody has, we say everyone has gone astray, but here it says, if someone has, now you may be fine, but there's anyone in your group that has wandered off like a planet, it's, it's on the wrong rotation, uh, has wandered from the truth, notice right there, wandered from the truth, again, we're not having this list of moral codes, there's going to be moral codes that come from the truth, but there's the truth, and we're walking into the truth, and the truth is like a light shining on us, revealing the darkness that we need to correct. If someone has wandered from the truth, and then someone else brings them back. So this has gone from, like we said, the elders to the righteous man to Elijah, now just someone. I mean, someone that understands what the truth is, and they bring them back. It doesn't tell you, you know, the five steps of bringing someone back, whatever you're doing. But here's the idea. If someone brings him back, let him know that whoever does this, meaning this would be his closing message, if any one of you sees someone else that has wandered from the truth, and again, we got a whole book describing what wandered from the truth would mean. In fact, I think I've got it written down here. Uh, point four at the bottom of the page. Uh, let's go to point three. Uh, there's wandering, plainness, meaning to wander. Uh, Three verses, possibly, but especially two. James 1.16, he tells them in James 1.16, do not be deceived, my dear brothers. So now if someone has wandered off, that would mean, that'd be another way of saying, now, don't be deceived, but if you see someone in your group, ah, they've been deceived, they've gone off into sin. James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Now, there, what, what does it mean to be deceived? Well, here's an example right there in the same chapter is you're hearing the word uh-huh i'm going through communion i'm hearing the word i'm a christian i'm born again i believe in jesus but then you go and you live like the world 
you're a wandering star. You're, you're, you've been deceived. You are the one that is wandering. But I, I was there. I was listening. I took communion. I went through all. It's like, but you're hearing, but you're not doing. You are deceived. You're wandering. So that would be an example of someone that is wandering. In point or uh, C, James 4, 8, he flat out, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. <clears throat> Just again, emphasizing this book is addressing the, the church, the believers. He's calling them sinners and double-minded because they're not doing what they should be doing because they don't even sometimes have in their heart what they should be doing. You're, you're completely void of truth. So in that case, you've got to learn something and then start doing it. But nonetheless, they've been deceived. Uh, point four, like uh, Israel and Elijah's day, these readers were likely suffering from their life in darkness since they had been deceived by the world. They've been wandering in the world. And so because they've been living in the world and doing these things, they've probably had an impact. I mean, it's like someone that, it, it, think of an example, someone that is, is you know, on, been on drugs for years or they're an alcoholic. It's like, after years of drinking, it's like it shows up in their body. That's just an example. But everything, you can see the same thing could be said about bitterness. A person that just lives in bitterness their whole life. It's like it, it shows up. It's got, it's like, oh, I'm fine. I'm going to live immoral. I'm going to have a bad attitude. I'm going to abuse my body. I'll be fine. No, it's going to show up. It's going to end up showing in, in, in you know, you can fill in the blank a, a variety of ways. And so because these people... He says, they've been deceived, they're sinners, they're double-minded. Do you think it's showing up in their lives? Somewhere their lives are breaking down because of the darkness they're inhaling. Um, they're, I say they're likely suffering for the life in darkness since they have been deceived by the world. Uh, these are some things that James has called, said about them. They lack wisdom. They're double-minded. This person's religion is worthless. They're religious. It's worthless. It's probably causing more problems than it is good. Have you not then made distinctions amongst yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You've got dead faith. I've got faith. You're not living it. It's dead. And if you've got dead faith, you're not got any life, you're going to produce things that a dead corpse would produce. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. And so they've got jealousy and selfish ambition well, you, I'm just a little jealous. I've got some selfish ambition. Well, you know what that's going to lead to? Well, I think it's okay. I'm just a little jealous. got some selfish ambition. It's going to lead to disorder and every vile practice. Ah, oh, no, I'm just a little jealous. You can't be jealous and have a selfish ambition and, and be using other people for your own advantage without eventually creating disorder and every vile practice. Oh, that's not me. If you inhale, you've got to exhale. Oh, I don't exhale. I'm just an inhaler. It's like, it don't work that way. If you're, if you're doing this, it's got, to, it's got to be the other side of it. So these are the people. So in other words, again, this is the way the book ends. In, in, again, positive. I mean, this is how you... In, in, there's more, in a sense, rebuke than there is correction. The correction is fairly simple. Confess and pray and restore. Once you are restored start praying and finding others and helping them confess and restore. And the easy targets are going to be those that are bedridden and their lives have collapsed because they're living in darkness. It's like, nothing's working out. I have no friends. I've got no finances. I've got no home. I've got no health. It's like, well, hey, you got a question? Yeah, I got a question. Well, right here. Confess your sins, pray, and let's get back to the Lord. So, I mean, I mean, it's almost like an easy target. Those that are suffering are looking for, I need some answers. Someone that is still oh, I'm just a little selfish ambition, I'll be fine. Okay, well, I'll just stand here and wait because the moment your whole life is going to collapse and then I'm, gonna, I'm here to help. Or I might be the guy that needs the help. But the book ends positive with this line right here. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, again, it doesn't say you want, but among you. I mean, you're, you're, you're in that group and one of your people has wandered, which means deceived, like wandered like a star, that's not a star or planet, from the truth. You're, you're orbiting around something other than the Word of God. You're orbiting around another philosophy, and someone brings him back. And you can, you can correct that before it gets too far gone. Uh, you, you're a little selfish. You've got some selfish ambition, or you're orbiting around a false philosophy. If you can bring them back before the damage is done, let him know that if you can do that, 
that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So in this case now, the death is not health, it's the soul, which could be, you know, it could, you could just say also body, because that would be a precursor of, you know, a dying soul. And, and cover, once again, it's cover sins. And not just a few sins, but cover a multitude of sins. How do you cover a multitude of sins? You, you find that person, they confess, and they come back to Jesus. He's covered all the sins. I mean, it's like, how many sins? It doesn't matter. It, it's, it's not the sin. It's not the number of sins. It's this right here is going to destroy you. You need to get back with Christ. This is taken care of already. And if you can get back with Christ and live in life, this right here will not happen to your body or your soul. Now, again, we, we be careful with this because everyone is going to eventually die and everyone eventually has to deal with sickness at some level. Sometimes it's related to sin. Sometimes it's just, you know, your grandchildren all came over and they all had colds and now you've got a cold. So the right, righteous thing would have been done is don't come in my house, you know. Uh, anyway, no, that's, but nonetheless, I mean, that, be careful with that right there. Uh, but always consider it. I mean, it's, it's right there in Scripture. Consider it. What, your, your sickness the connection, we see it in James and Paul's writing, it's like 45, 55 AD. Well, that's because of your uh, lack of discernment, your lack of evaluation. It's like, you're in sin. I'm fine. Maybe not. Okay. But that's the end is right there, encouraging the leaders of the church, the righteous people of the church. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings them back, what have you done? Let you know, let you know this. If you bring back a sinner from his wandering, you will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. You've just put someone back in fellowship with God. You now have another righteous person to pray and go on another rescue mission. And again, the rescue missions here in the context are bringing Christians back into fellowship. Again, obviously, it would include some kind of evangelism. My friends, that closes down uh, the book of James. I appreciate you uh, being here, listening to it. Uh, I, 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 was, I learned a lot as far as just going through it verse by verse. You can read it, I can read it, but then when I go through the verses and you start just analyzing and thinking about it, it, it helps. It helps me. So next week, we'll begin the book of Jude. The good news is there's only one chapter, uh, but there's, there's more than one verse, so it's going to take us more than one week. Uh, and uh, it looks like Jude, uh, not doesn't look like, but Jude would be James's brother. He introduced himself as James's brother, and we'll do a little bit of background on how, you know, is, there, is that truly the, could be a different James, could be a different Jude. Uh, it appears that he was Jesus' brother, possibly uh, the younger brother of, of all of them. And then we got to decide when it was written, and I'm thinking it's going to be written uh, shortly, right around the same time, probably after this book. But it's going to have to be written before 64 AD because Peter, and there's, you know, we'll compare them, Second Peter and Jude are parallel. They're not word for word, but the subjects match. It's like the, and, and then you got to decide, is Jude copying Peter or is Peter copying Jude? Not copying, but it meaning is it the same ideas? And the idea is that Peter is using the ideas of Jude. Uh, and then Jude, probably Jesus' family, and this is interesting, Jesus' family kind of hung around Israel, Jerusalem, Judea, uh, settled in Nazareth even up till the time of Domitian when John the Apostle was uh, in prison and then released by Trajan during Domitian's time. Domitian was concerned about Christianity. That's why John's on an island. So he goes and finds out all these descendants of King Jesus who was a descendant of the royal Judean family of David and is going to probably, you know, have them executed. And when he interviews them, finds them, it's like they're, they own small plots of land uh, and, you know, they're farmers. I mean, they're, they're Christians. They're leading the church, but they're like, they even show them their hands. That they're, they're, they're workers. It's like, oh, these guys are not a threat to the Roman Empire. It's like, no, sir, we, can we get back? We got, <laughs> we got fields that we got to take care of. And so that would be, and those, would, those were historically Jude's grandchildren because they connected their family to Jude. So Jesus' family kind of stayed. So Jude is writing. We got to decide if it's Jude, when he wrote it, and who he's writing to. And we'll spend several weeks uh, doing that because it's, again, an interesting book. I'll pray, and we're done. Father, we thank you for the chance to look into these things. We thank you for your word. 
we ask that these words, this teaching, would uh, not just be interesting, uh, but also would, would penetrate our hearts, that we would become the people you want us to be, that we would walk in the light, that this light that we hear would expose our own darkness, would expose our own weaknesses, and we would draw closer to you, not earning our salvation, earning our forgiveness, but trusting in Jesus Christ and allowing him to continue his work of grace in our life through his spirit and through his word. And we do look forward to doing the things and producing the fruit that you've called us to at this time in history. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for being here.